0: I um, wanted to continue in our series uh, today. We started the, the series last week. This is part two, and it's entitled, Where Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. Um, it's taken from the Gospel Mark. And today we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But how many of you are familiar with the, the, the group, the Christian um, uh, rock group called Casting Crowns? You familiar with them? Okay, so you've heard them. Anybody um, remember their song? It's, it hasn't been too long that they've had this song out called Desert Road. You know, they have a song called Desert Road, and that, it speaks of the, moment, of the moments when God's plan isn't clear, but we are still called to follow him. I love the song. Um, it's about the, the journey of, of getting past yourself and realizing God knows what he's doing. And he's already at the end of the road looking back waiting for you. I like that thought. I do. You know, it's also about the idea of stepping out in obedience regardless of our limited understanding and and trusting that God has a bigger plan for you at play here. That God has a bigger plan for you. Okay? You know, the words of the Course go something like this it says where he leads me i will follow as you lift my hand i see as i lift as as you lift my hand i see where he leads me i will follow so many desperate souls in need so many desperate souls in need where he leads me i will follow i walk with them as you walked with me where he leads me i will follow you're the living water to the thirsty what a great song if you were with us last week, you know that we have begun a journey, and, and it's going to take us through the deserts of Palestine, along the shores of Galilee, and the Jordan River, you know, and into the city of Nazareth, Bethlehem, and J- Jerusalem, as we, as we kind of follow in the footsteps uh, of Jesus on, on his journey, as, as John Mark wrote in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. You know, the Gospel of Mark, as I said last week, Is, you know, he's our guide through this journey and, and he's, he strives to help us. And I really like this about the gospels and especially with, with the book of Mark because what he's trying to do here is he, he's trying to strive to help us see Jesus more clearly. And I tell you what, if you haven't been coming, you should come on Wednesday nights and see the, the chosen because it really does I mean, it just gives me a different picture of of what Jesus is like. And the guy that plays Jesus has captured it really well. But even that can't capture all of what Mark is trying to get us to see here about Jesus, to be able to see Jesus more clearly. And as I mentioned last week, you know, just 16 chapters, Mark is the shortest of all four of the Gospels, but also Mark was written first. Even though Matthew is in our Bible first, Mark was the one that was written first, right around the year A.D. 45. And and Mark wrote it as a a fast-paced, action-packed drama, making it the ideal starting point for anyone wishing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And so it is said that Mark followed Peter, wherever Peter went, Mark followed him, and it's it's kind of interesting because you know they haven't portrayed that yet on on the chosen. But Mark followed Peter wherever he went and, and preached. And and what Mark would do is he would write all these things down and he composed them because you know there is no gospel of Peter. Isn't that interesting? There, because Peter was one of the prominent um, apostles, but there is no gospel of Peter. But Mark, they call Mark the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Peter because. That's what Mark did. He followed, he followed Peter all over and wrote everything down that he was pre- um, preaching. So last Sunday, what we did was we witnessed Jesus' introduction to the world. And who introduces Jesus to the world? John the Baptist. John the Baptist built this, this expectancy, this, this excitement, this, this hopefulness, this anticipation for Jesus' arrival. That's what he did, preparing the way for the Lord's coming and announcing both, if you remember, we talked about both his worth and his work last week. We talked about those things, the worth and the work of Jesus. But when Jesus finally stepped onto the stage, allowing John to baptize him in the Jordan River, it must have been an amazing thing to see. It must have been an amazing sight because the heavens split open the spirit of God drifts down onto Jesus and the voice of God proudly proclaims this. It says, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. If you look at the New Living Translation, I like to go between the NIV and the New Living Translation. I like both of those translations. But the New Living Translation, that last part of that verse says, who brings me great joy. That was his son. Jesus brought him great joy. So soon after that introduction, Jesus meets Simon Peter and his his brother Andrew along the shores of Galilee. And he calls out to them. He says, come and follow me. And so Andrew and and Peter did not hesitate. They they left their nets there and their boats and they immediately set out to follow Jesus who begins preaching from town to town, healing the sick and, and casting out evil spirits and so this this brings us to chapter 2, then, of Mark chapter 2. And, you know, as I was sitting here thinking about everything that I wanted to share with you, I counted how many sections there are in the book of Mark. You know, there are 68 sections, 68 sermons that we could come up with for the book of Mark. We're not going to do that many. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to include every detail of Jesus's life in this series that even even Mark's gospel, as short as it is, has far too much material in each chapter to pack them all in one sermon. You', can't, you just can't do that. And so we could speak just on the Gospel mark for over a year if we wanted to and, and not cover everything. So what I'm going to do is each week, I want to focus on one particular section, one particular pa- um, section in each chapter. Um, and today we're going to we're going to um, join together and we're going to look at Mark chapter two verses one through twelve. That's the section that I've chosen. Let's read. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. It says some some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man. Who knows how far they carried this guy, but they brought this man, bringing him, this paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Always the detractors there. Listen. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them, of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Wouldn't it have been interesting to have been in that situation there to be able to see what was going on there? You know, I probably wouldn't have listened to Jesus when he said, Get up and take your mat and go home. I would have wanted to stay to listen to whatever he had to say. Because I would have been pretty amazed. I would have been so excited that he had healed me. Who knows how long this paralyzed man had been paralyzed? Maybe for his whole life. Who knows? Well, anyway, you know, in this unforgettable story, I'm going to highlight three amazing attributes of Jesus. Three attributes of of how many... (laughs) He has so many attributes and, you know, but I'm just going to name three of them because that's how much time we have just about to do is three of them. The first attribute that I see in Jesus is his popularity. You know, by the, by the time we get to Mark chapter two, Jesus is already more popular than the Beatles. (laughs) Yeah. see, all of you know, all of you know, the Beatles, you know, they claim to be more popular than God, you know, that they're more popular than Jesus. They did claim that. Well, yeah, one of them did. (laughs) So, but, but I would say that they, Jesus was more popular than them. Throngs of uh, fervent fans followed him everywhere he went. You know, from town to town, from shore to shore. You know, they, they would walk miles just to catch a glimpse of him. So as Mark begins the chapter, this is what he writes here again. He says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So they heard that. So they, what they did was they gathered in large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. It says some of the men bringing, you know, came bringing a paralyzed man, you know, carried by four of them since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. So it must have been, this place must have been packed. You've, you ever been in a crowded place? Knowing that you want to try to get to someone, and it's really hard to be able to do that because there's just so many people around. Well, this must have been wall-to-wall people. And so they they could not get to to him, get to him, get to him to Jesus, get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat. The man was lying on. Wow. You know, what, what... an unusual sight this must have been. I mean, honestly, it sounds like the kind of harebrained idea that you would see on a Don Knotts and Tim Conway movie or or a, a Bob Hart, Dave Miller, Chet, Chet Winger, you know, <laughs> idea, you know, that we do. <laughs> what a harebrained idea. Yeah, now, now s- scholars tell us that homes in that day were unique. They had this flat roof, made of wooden beams that rested on the walls of the building. And so these beams would be placed about three or four feet apart, and they were covered with thick branches and, and brush and reeds and mud and grass and clay, resulting in the, 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 the top of the beams would have this real thick layer on them that would be about four to six inches deep. Wealthier homes, though, and this is where Jesus was. He was in a wealthier home, such as the one that he was in, oftentimes had this ceramic-like tile on top that would help to drain the water off of the roof. And so this is where we're at here with this. So as, as word gets out that Jesus is in town, these four guys, they grab their buddy, and they carry him across town. You know, of of course, you know, when, when they get to the house where Jesus was staying, this place is so packed with people that they couldn't get through the door. Imagine that. Just imagine crowds of admirers peeking in through the windows, every hole that would, would have been in the house, peeking through just to get a glimpse of Jesus, just to get a glimpse of him. You know... Just imagine, you know, the, these people must have been camping out in, in, the, in on the lawn. You know, they, they might have been having a tailgate party in the street. Who knows what they were doing? But but it must have been, I kind of liken it to this. It must have been like, and I had, I will tell you that I only went to one. I only went to one. And the reason why I stopped going to them is because I watched these two ladies get in a fist fight. I mean, the one lady took one of these things out of this lady's cart and put it into her cart and they got into a fist fight because it was the last one. And I said, I said to my wife, I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to go out for Black Friday ever again. There's no way I'm going to do that. But, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of, you know, Black, Walmart on Black Friday before the doors are open, you know, and, or, or going to the newest Star Wars movie, you know, and trying to get in to see the newest Star Wars movie. But I want to tell you something. These guys were bound and determined and would not be stopped. They were not going to let anybody stop them. They don't care if they throw their backs out carrying their buddy around. They don't care if they, if they ruin the roof. They, they don't care if they interrupt Jesus's sermon. They were willing to go to any lengths to get to Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Any lengths to get to Jesus? Wouldn't you like to have friends like that? (laughs) Maybe some of you do. But you know what? What What I want to underscore is not the persistence of these four men, because that's what is constantly underscored in this passage. But what I want to underscore here is the popularity of Jesus. Everywhere he went, Jesus was surrounded by admirers, devotees, fans. People wanted to be where Jesus was, to sit in his presence, just to be there, to listen to him speak. You know, up until now, Jesus wasn't giving free food away, you know, like he did when he fed the 5,000. You know, rather, this crowd formed just to listen to what Jesus had to say. That's what they did. And Mark 2, verse 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 2 says this, that he preached, that he preached the word to them. That's what Jesus was doing. He preached the word to them. You know, wouldn't you have just loved to have been there to hear Jesus preaching the word? But you know what? We're we're blessed because all we got to do is read his word and Jesus has preached the word to us. So if you're in his word every day, Jesus is preaching the word to you. And so, you know, there there was something about Jesus that attracted people. You know, he had this magnetism about him. You know, his voice was comforting, his, his kindness was compelling, his joy was was contagious. And, and, and so Jesus drew a crowd like a, a free hot dog day at Lincoln um, Financial Field in Philadelphia. I mean, that's that's that was kind of like, you know, that's the kind of crowd. I mean, he just drew people to him because of that magnetism. My question is this, though. I started thinking about this, about Jesus and his attraction and how he drew people to him. If this is the house of Jesus, do we consider this the house of the Lord? Do we consider this the house of the Lord? If this is the house of Jesus... Shouldn't it be packed with visitors and friends and members that there would be no more room in here, but we would have to open those doors to have people sitting out in the vestibule? It makes me wonder. And I'm I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. If I'm pointing fingers, I'm going to be pointing fingers at me. I'm not judging anybody. I'm judging me if I'm going to judge. Someone had spread the news. Someone had spread it. Mark says in the New Living Translation in verse 1 that the news spread quickly. The news spread quickly. That Jesus had arrived. News just doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't spread by itself. When you come through those doors and experience Jesus in this place, don't you got to tell somebody about it don't you need to just dig a hole? Please don't dig a hole in our roof, but no. <laughs> dig a hole in the roof. You know, but you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to do that, but there's nothing better that you can do in your life than to bring your family, your friends, your acquaintance to Jesus. And I'm not saying bring your family and your friends and your acquaintance to the Cornerstone Church of Christ. That's not what it's about. This church is here to serve the Lord. It's about bringing your friends, your family, your acquaintances to Jesus. That's what it's all about. In addition to Jesus' popularity, though, in this story, there's another attribute that I want to share with you, and that's this. It's his position. The, The moment this paralyzed man descends from the ceiling, everybody knows why he's there. Everyone knows that. You know, he wants to be healed, but this is where the story takes a peculiar turn. Mark writes this in in verses five through seven of chapter two. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, but God alone, who can forgive sins, but God alone, Rather than, than healing the man, Jesus does something scandalous. He forgives his sins. What sins? Well, I don't know. And it doesn't really matter what sins. Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God's standard. All of us have. We're all guilty. And we all need forgiveness. But that forgiveness can only come from God. It can only come from God. God. The teachers of the law rightly recognize the implication of Jesus' words here, folks. You know that. Only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus can forgive sins, that means Jesus is God. You know, Scripture declares that the scribes deduce that, that Jesus is both man and God. This is what the what the gospel of John says. Notice what John 1, 1 says here. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And notice what verse 14 says. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word of God made flesh. is the answer to Solomon's century-old question when he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18, he says, will God really live on earth among his people? Well, yes, he did. And he did that through Jesus. We just learned last month, if you remember, last month we talked about, according to the Bible, the God who spoke the universe into existence stepped down from heaven and he entered our world. Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. The arms of a a teenage virgin cradled him. Remember that? The angels watched with wonder as the creator of the cosmos took his first steps. You know, Jesus may have been pushed around by the neighborhood bully. Who knows? He could have been pushed around by the neighborhood bully. He could have possibly fallen and scraped his knees on the cobbled streets in, in, in Nazareth. But one thing is for sure, folks, Jesus holds the utterly unique position of being completely divine, yet completely human at the same time. He is fully God and he is fully human. That has some significance to it. And so the scribes' response to Jesus' Forgiving someone's sins is completely understandable and appropriate because either this Jesus fellow is a a liar and a blasphemer or he is really God incarnate. Listen to what the great theologian C.S. Lewis said in in, in his book, Mere Christianity. Has anybody ever read Mere Christianity? Anybody here? Okay, good book. You should read it. Here's what what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. He says this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that we must not say. This is what C.S. Lewis is saying. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be the the devil of hell. You make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he does not intend to. Wow, what a great statement. Before moving on from these verses, I'm going to give you a little bit of a bonus point here in this passage here. This interaction also reveals the perceptiveness of Jesus. He perceives quite a bit. He, he knew that the men, the, the, that this man came for healing, but he forgave his sins first because Jesus knows our greatest need. Our greatest need isn't to be healed by body form. Our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. That's the the greatest need that we have. And isn't that the kind of savior that we need? Absolutely. A merely human Jesus could love us and sympathize with our plight, but a merely human Jesus could never save us. A merely divine Jesus would be so far above and beyond us that we could never relate to him or even approach him. But as the God-man, Jesus is everything that we need in a Savior. Near enough to touch, strong enough to trust. That's Jesus. Wow. And finally, in addition to the attributes of popularity and his position, Mark highlights one more that I want to share with you from this passage, and that is the attribute of Jesus' power, you know, there there was this devout cowboy who was out on the trail. He was he was out he lost his Bible while he was mending fences on the range. And three weeks later a cow walked up to him carrying the Bible in his mouth. And the cowboy couldn't believe his eyes. He he, he took the, the precious book out of the cow's mouth and he, he raised his eyes heavenward and he explained, This must be a miracle. Not really, said the cow. Your name is written in the Bible there. <laughs> you know, folks, do you believe that miracles still happen? Do you believe that, really? Because I believe that, too. Miracles really do happen. And, and Mark documents one of them right in front of us here. Knowing some of the guests were thinking of him as a blasphemer, this is what Mark wrote. He said in verses 8 through 12, where it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit. He knew. He knew what they were thinking, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, which is, yeah, that's easier to do. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He declared it right then and there that he was God. And they knew that. That's why they wanted to kill him. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And so he got up, he took his mat and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, this is just a thought, you know, and I'm just, I'm just throwing this out here because I, I never really thought about this until just now. I wonder where he went to. What do you think, when that man was able to walk, because he probably was never able to walk ever, where do you think it was the first place he walked to? I don't know, but I bet it must have been pretty amazing who he would have gone to see first, saying, look, I can walk. Wow. You know, this miracle was more than just a display of power. It was proof that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. You know, years later, Peter would preach this in, in Acts chapter two, verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Peter even, he even talks about that years later. Miracles signs and wonders are three words the new testament often uses to refer to the same thing the word miracle refers to what was done the word wonder refers to the effect of of a miracle that it had on people and the term sign indicated the purpose of the miracle these miracles were signs that the power of god lived in jesus that jesus was god Jesus performed this and countless other miracles, not only out of compassion for a paralyzed man, but so that onlookers might see and believe. There was a purpose for that. Unfortunately, you and I were not able to witness that. We weren't there to witness. So we have to rely on other eyewitness testimonies about these miracles. But remember what John told us. Remember what John said? Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. He's talking about us. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Just imagine, you know, there's probably between the four gospels, there's probably 35 or forty miracles that Jesus performed. But there were many other signs and wonders that he that he did that aren't even recorded in this book. But these are written that you may be believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We get to have life in His name. Wow, what a passage. You know, the four Gospels written independently, independently, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you know, together they record some somewhere in the neighborhood of, of thirty-five to forty miracles, you know that, that Jesus of Nazareth had performed during his ministry. The Pharisees had accused Jesus of performing miracles by the by the power of Satan, but they did not deny that he had performed them. They were kind of recognizing him and yet, you know, cutting him down. But but they didn't deny that he had performed them. In the Talmud which is a a Jewish book of of history and law, claims that Jesus was a sorcerer and he performed many miracles through the dark arts. But the fact that the Talmud records that Jesus really did perform these miracles inadvertently corroborates what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John claim. Craig Evans was considered one of the the world's premier historical Jesus scholars, says this, he says, the older notion that, that miracle stories were a product of mythological influence has largely been abandoned. He says, it is no longer seriously contested that miracles played a role in Jesus's ministry. They did, so much so. The fact that Jesus performed miracles of healing, miracles of nature, you know, even miracles of restoring life. He did that. And and all of them were carefully documented, not just by one person, but by four biographers who believed so fully that Jesus was the Son of God that they willingly died for their beliefs. They were willing to die. The power of Jesus to perform miracles is compelling proof that he was in fact who he said he was and that is the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, I think Jesus still furnishes proof for those who sincerely seek him. If by faith we come to him with a deep need There's no telling what miracle Jesus might perform in your life. There's countless upon countless of testimony to that. As the paralyzed man leaped to his feet and strutted out that door, can you imagine being in that and seeing that happen? The crowd was stunned, amazed, and full of praise, exclaiming this. We've never seen anything like this before. You know, I get the feeling that Jesus probably heard that a lot. (laughs) I would think so. You know, oftentimes I have heard this passage preached or taught by many different people and it always, it's always about the faith of the friends who lowered this man to Jesus. But, and and that's a very good message. Don't, I'm not taking anything away from that message because that's a very good message. As a matter of fact, just this past week, one of my friends, Put on her Facebook page these words from Mark chapter two. It's, she said, Jesus healed a paralyzed man because of his friend's faith. This is why your circles matter. I think that's true. And all of that's very true. But, but I want you to think about this story from a different point of view. I want you to think about this story as it being all about Jesus, not about the man, but all about Jesus. Notice where Jesus was standing. Notice where Jesus was standing in that house. He was in a place where the men couldn't get to him. That's where Jesus was standing. Do you think that was a coincidence? Nothing's a coincidence with the Lord. That was fully planned because he knew that those men were going to come bringing their buddy to be healed. He knew it. And so he, he stood in a place where they couldn't get to him. And I think Jesus was testing their faith to see how far they were willing to go to get to him. Think about that. Maybe Jesus is testing your faith today to see how far you're willing to go to get to him. What are you willing to give up or sacrifice to get to Jesus? That's just a thought. We're only in chapter two and already Jesus' popularity has skyrocketed. His position as both God and man is firmly established and his power to perform miracles is leaving folks around him absolutely amazed. I don't know about you, but i can't wait to see what jesus has in store for us next it's pretty incredible in the meantime however in the next paragraph jesus approaches a tax collector by the name of levi we call him matthew and he invites him follow me and be my disciple you know that invitation of following me and being my disciple is is for us as well are you following him are you his disciple How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go to get to Jesus? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. How far are you willing to go to get to Jesus? You know what? You don't have to dig a hole through the roof to get to him. Are you willing to accept the invitation of where he leads me? I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'm going to have the band come, and we're going to close our time to, by singing our last song here. And if there is anyone here who needs to make a decision for the Lord, to be immersed into Christ, or to, to repent of any sin, or to have prayer, or whatever it is that you need, we we give an invitation every every Lord's Day. So if you need to come this morning, I ask that you would come.